Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. Today we are going to be talking about racism's impact on healthcare. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind you to review and subscribe. Hello, welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. My name is Alex Hernandez. On the other line is Dr. Craig Stern. And uh, today our topic is gonna focus on how there's still a racial bias in the healthcare industry and how that kind of uh, facilitates itself. And it's not exactly racism, it's just a racial bias when it comes to um, various parts of healthcare. And I'll have Dr. Stern uh, um, enter in on that topic. Dr. Stern, you wanna, you wanna say a few words before we actually get started here? Yeah, I think it's important, I mean, clearly, the horrific issues of what's been going on with regard to uh, the uh, police murder of uh, George Floyd and then and uh, dealing with other issues is, is serious, horrendous, and something that we all truly care about. And it obviously happens within the context of everybody having a different feeling about everything as you're kind of quarantined uh, due to the, right. to the coronavirus. But I think the important issue for us is to kind of put this in context. One is, how does healthcare view uh, racism and divisiveness, uh, et cetera? Two, what kind of issues does that are institutionalized within healthcare have to deal with, um, with healthcare, uh, with uh, uh, racism and sexism and, and all of the isms with regard to healthcare? And then finally, about um, uh, some fundamental rules that are part of how we practice healthcare that it's important for people to understand and to know what goes on. Yeah, and, and the topic, main topic for, for society right now has been police against certain um, racial backgrounds. Um, but we wanna stay kind of back in our lane because it does, racism or racial bias doesn't just exist among police force or society at large. It's, it also affects other parts of, of normal, reg, regular, everyday life, like when you go see a doctor or when you're getting diagnosed for something. And it, it really shouldn't be that way, right? It should be more science-related rather than racial-related. Well, hopefully it is. Yeah. Clearly, healthcare is not perfect. Um, nor uh, are most other professions and most other uh, civic and, and, and uh, common activities. Um, but I think it's important that we just put it in context so that we understand how healthcare is responding to it, where there may be some failings that healthcare has that are institutionalized. They're talking about some of the things you're bringing up, Alex, and then, mm -hmm. then certain rules that we have about how we're supposed to function, because those rules have functioned for a very long time, for several hundred years, and it's important that we look at this and we say, okay, we may be imperfect, but here's how we're supposed to act. Right, so getting down to it, how do healthcare professionals address um, racial bias? Yeah, um, the first issue is, is in response to the international response to uh, the killing of, of George Floyd, of issues with regard to um, all the divisiveness that's gone on, some of the, of the um, 
uh, uh, problems in breaking into businesses and cards and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. The American Medical Association, the American Academy of uh, Pediatrics, the American uh, Family Practice Association, the American Nurses Association, the American Pharmacists Association have all come out very stringently with their um, uh, horror, their fundamental issue where they've addressed that brutality, senseless violence, exclusion, bias, that these are all public health issues and that mm -hmm. uh, from a violent standpoint, that has to stop. From the standpoint of how do you present them, they've all put it in the context of public health. What does that mean? It means that the physical health of the individual is also heavily involved with the mental health of the individual. And that mental health may not be something as definite as depression or, or uh, psychosis or otherwise, it's stress-related. And so as a result of that, the, the physical health of an individual is definitely compromised uh, their, the mental health of the individual is compromised. And so we look at it as a public health consideration with all of the national associations presenting their view and their feeling that these things do impact healthcare and that healthcare for individuals has to take uh, a, a very clear view of what's going on. And, Try and prevent it as much as possible. Yeah, um, and then at the at the same time, people are trying to call you for your for your comment. But I got you already, so you can't go answering that. <laughs> but um, um, so you, you talked about the position that some of these medical associations and pharmacy associations have taken. Um, but you look at public health care crisis, but it seems it's a lot of people just angry and not necessarily in need of healthcare services at the moment because you know just a week ago we were talking about COVID-19 and and now we're seeing large groups of people getting together it's there's there's something for people to be worried about when you talk about trying to lock people down trying to quarantine people and then people coming together like this which seems like a worthwhile cause because they're protesting for something to change, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. At what at what point do is there going to be like a clash? Should we expect some kind of outbreak from this? Well, what the what the organizations and especially by the way the American Pediatric Association has addressed is is that as a public health issue we are going to view the consequences of what's going on for a very long time. It won't yeah. be that someone comes in and says, you know, I'm stressed and I'm unhappy because everyone is already stressed and unhappy. We don't want to demean that in any way. I mean, it's real. It's, it's a healthcare problem. But we mm -hmm. also want to realize that the consequences of this with personal stress, there's been significant reports of uh, people, including kids with depression, there's been some that have a plan, and so they're they're uh, trying to address the issue that maybe they want to take their life, um, etc., out of this. That there are consequences, and in our world, that means healthcare consequences. And it's not that you can flip a switch 
And then all of a sudden, everyone who has had all these stresses and all this unhappiness and horrific news looks at this and says, well, we're going to flip a switch and now everybody's going to be okay. Well, that's not, that's not true. It's not even close to being true. It's that right. there, is a, there is a impact on people that is on their mental health and also on their physical health, certainly if they're involved in violence on their physical health, but the mental health will also have consequences in what goes on on their, um, on their physical health. Uh, depression, for example, is closely related with heart attacks. So th th that's just an example, and we don't want to trivialize this, but we do want right. to make sure we understand that these kind of issues and what's going on have an impact, and that impact has a very long tail to it. So people will be paying the price for this for a very long time. Now, the other piece of this is that um, this is not, when we're talking about racial bias, in fact, this is one of many biases that are unfortunately coming out, have been a long history for it, but not something that we can deny. So issues with regard to, even within our own lifetimes over the last five, uh, seven years or so, racism for sure, um, uh, uh, sexism, uh, anti-genderism, issues with regard to anti-Semitism, all of these isms and anything that brings divisiveness to a community is the problem that we're dealing with. And so even in many cases, one doesn't exclude the other. We've got all of this rolled up into one. And this bias is not healthy for anyone, nor is it healthy for the families and the friends of individuals who are also going through common things and have to deal with their friends' issues or problems. So we can't look at this in a, in a, with a lens and say, well, this is only one problem. In fact, it's a, uh, as it's been published, a public, a public health problem where uh, several things are affecting everything else, and we can't deny that. Right, right, of course. Um, what, what's the MUD rule? What is that? Yeah, um, in healthcare, there are certain rules about how people take care of things. I mean, healthcare is, um, is a, a fundamental issue that's gone on since uh, the early uh, Mesopotamian and Greek uh, times, but, um, and, and it's even been institutionalized in our own country in, uh, in law, in the Bill of Rights, in issues about how people address. Uh, but the mud rule is something that's very, specific to healthcare, um, a rural physician, a physician in rural Maryland, uh, his name was Samuel Mudd, M-U-D-D, was uh -huh. visited uh, one evening uh, by a patient with a broken leg, and um, he fixed that leg, and uh, because it was the evening, he, he gave food and lodging to that individual. Um, the individual left, um, uh, from his uh, his uh, uh, home and place of business, and 11 days later, uh, the United States Army found that individual and killed him. His name was John Wilkes Booth. He had killed the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. Oh wow! Um, subsequently, uh, Dr. Mudd, and there's 
there's uh, differences of opinion in history, uh, but it's even come up, by the way, in 2002, where his family tried to have the courts deal with it to try and clear his name. Uh, but it's, uh, subsequently, Dr. Mudd was put on trial. He was convicted of aiding and abetting a murder. He oh, was wow. put in jail for his entire life for treating this, this patient. Uh, four years later, his, uh, his uh, term was commuted by a presidential pardon from President Johnson. But the mud rule became the standard that said that um, when a patient presents themselves to a physician, then the patient has to be treated regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done, regardless of their political persuasion, sexual persuasion, cultural persuasion, spiritual persuasion, or anything. And this is a general rule that has gone on all over the world. Um, Israeli doctors have treated Arabs, uh, U.S. Uh, Jewish doctors have treated Arabs, Arab doctors have treated Jews, um, and, and literally, I mean, doctors have treated murderers, they've treated anarchists, they've treated people that does it, because the fundamental rule is the patient is the patient. You don't make judgments about what they are or, or what they believe. You treat the problem may not like them. I've certainly had a lot of patients that I found personally uh, offensive, but it's irrelevant. Um, you have a patient, you treat the patient, and let them uh, get on with their activities. And if it's dealt with in another way, it's dealt with in another way. But the mud rule yeah, is Just correct. a disclaimer out there. Just a disclaimer. You, you worked for um, jails, you worked in the jail ward, you worked in the psychotic ward, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so Western you've dealt with people ward. who were, oh, 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 that was just me then. Okay, <laughs> no, I, yes, I did work, uh, I did work uh, in, in the jail. I worked on the jail ward at LA County USC. I also worked uh, in, uh, in locked uh, behavioral health wards uh, and, and with patients. And we, as a company, have dealt with behavioral health groups um, all over the country and certainly in different uh, health plans, as well as uh, the, the nexus between physical medicine and mental health, yes. Um, right. So but, there's been some undesirables in there, but you treated them just as if you were as another patient in a regular clinic. I've treated <laughs> murderers. I've treated um, uh, people from uh, the syndicate. I've treated people who were actually some very nice people who turned out to be murderers um, uh, from a personal level, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously a whole lot of other people. That's not the, the issue. Um, our, our issue has been drug therapy and we have treated them irregardless. The yeah. issue of the mud rule was adjudicated by nurses and nurses have also taken up that particular rule as well. It certainly was true at the time of Florence Nightingale, even before, um, you know, the, the mud rule and the American Nurses Association and nurses have always taken up. It's irrelevant what the patient is about. We treat the patient. Um, there right. are some complications today. Um, uh, pharmacists have certainly treated all kinds of patients, but there have been some issues over the last uh, five, 10 years where people have objected to treating people because of religious preference 
And so there has been some conflict over that. And that is part mm -hmm. of the um, uh, inborn uh, you know, uh, healthcare bias that exists where people are making some personal decisions about who they're going to treat based on abortion, based on issues with regard to certain meds that you would use to prevent abortion or, 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 uh, or uh, address a abortive kind of issue. Our issue though is the mud rule is sacrosanct. The patient is the patient. Whatever they are, you treat the patient and the consequences are addressed afterwise. And by the way, to be clear, um, the mud rule also identified that whatever the consequences are to the treater, to the person who's, who's treating that patient, it is irrelevant. You treat the patient. Hmm. That's very interesting. I didn't know that about the mud rule. I got, I'm gonna do some more research on that. That's very interesting. Do that. Topic. Do that. Yeah. Um, but also going in, but you, you started going into um, another topic I wanted to talk about was some of the inconsistencies in healthcare. You, you mentioned um, some doctors don't want to treat patients for abortion. Um, usually that's a personal bias, right? In, in some cases with religion and uh, things like that getting in the way, right? Well, yes. Um, and it's become relatively public too um, after, mm -hmm. um, after the Affordable Care Act uh, during the uh, Obama administration. Um, there was a group of Catholic bishops who uh, objected to the Affordable Care Act because within the design of benefits, within the design of um, the, um, the uh, definition of benefits within uh, Title I of the Social Security Act, um, everyone would be treated. And their concern was that as Catholics, they didn't want to participate in birth control they didn't want to participate in abortion, and that was reasonable. Uh, so you got in, there were political arguments as well as spiritual arguments about what went on. These are common, that's a, you know, a common problem that people have to address. Certainly, healthcare can't solve it, but certainly is part of it, um, as people try and address in each period where people feel differently about these things, certainly, it's a different feeling today than it was when my parents were alive and they addressed these kind of issues and our grandparents were alive and dealt with it. It changes in every generation, but right. clearly these things come up and it is certainly uh, part of the times, part of the institutions as to what uh, people are doing, etc. That also includes, by the way, rationing. Uh, rationing is a very common process for people to get a kidney, a liver, um, potentially lungs or heart. And, and rationing is very common across the world. In the United States, uh, Oregon is the only state that has any rules about rationing because it in general has been uh, something that politically, spiritually, civically, has been an argument within the United States. But at the end of the day, um, this whole issue of rationing becomes a problem because if there's not enough kidneys, there's not enough livers, there's not enough uh, hearts or otherwise, then people have to make decisions. And just to be fair, the issues come up 
under um, the uh, COVID-19 viral issue where people had uh, respirators, they had PPE and things, and they had to make decisions about who was going to get a respirator if you didn't have enough for everybody. So politics aside and all of the arguments about whether everybody had enough equipment or not, the reality was that there wasn't enough equipment in the areas where the people were being treated. So rationing um, uh, was, was a healthcare decision uh, and people were addressing it the same as they would triage uh, where even we were involved in triage and the rest where your patients are coming in and you're looking at them and seeing, well, that's a very common problem. We can put you over here and just deal with some common issues, treat you and let you go home. Other issues are very serious. You have to be hospitalized and you have to be addressed and others where um, you have to be managed in a more intensive way and you're going to be followed, whether it's in the hospital or at home or an urgent care center or otherwise. So, you know, these kind of things are institutionalized, but it doesn't demean the bias and the issues that come out because whenever you do it, whether it's abortion, whether it's rationing, whether it's access to care, even cost of care and what goes on, you have to address the fact that you're concerned that people may be abusing it. Um, certainly people may be looking at it and saying, well, you know, you, you chose that individual to get care, but you didn't, you didn't choose me or my family member or a friend or otherwise. So these things come up and they are a true bias within the, within the, um, the universe of healthcare. And healthcare is constantly trying to figure out how to address it. Yeah, and I think um, I think part of the problem is it's that it's a human decision. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, sadly, the it's come down to if it's a human decision, it's there's going to be some form of bias or some sort of, some sort of a assumed bias, whether it's coming from one side, it's a bias, or if it's coming from another they're assuming the other is biased and it, it's just a never ending circle. Yeah. So, so just bringing in artificial intelligence seems like the, the most logical answer, right? Well, you can bring in <laughs> artificial intelligence and certainly we deal with some of that in our analytics where we're making decisions about those things. But at the end of the day, there are patients and those patients need to be treated. What you want out of artificial intelligence is to be able to identify, perhaps do some initial triaging to identify who's really sick and who isn't, uh, mm -hmm. identifying to ensure that the right therapy is being given to individuals and, uh, and less therapy to those that don't need it, et cetera, those kind of things. But making a lot of these personal decisions, you're absolutely right, Alex, is a human decision. And a mm -hmm. human decision takes in multiple factors more than just what a computer algorithm has. And I say that in full disclosure, because we use these in, in analytics ourselves for a host of reasons, certainly not for triaging and, and deciding who's gonna take that, but in uh -huh. identifying problems and trying to address what those problems are and how they need to be treated. So, and also, yes. and also identifying potential problems or identifying potential troublematic, you know, troublesome, patterns that might come up yeah. um, and that's important because it doesn't take into effect your race your gender 
I mean, well, some drugs, your gender, yeah. But in most cases, it doesn't take in to affect your culture or your religion. It's just, here's the facts, here's what we know, and here's what to do about it. And, and clearly in science, that changes over time as people have, uh, you know, further information about what goes on. I, mm-hmm. One of my fears, of course, is, is that people are jumping to therapy right now because they want quick solutions with regard to COVID-19. But in fact, we're probably jumping in some cases too quickly um, in order to get- Yeah, hydroxychloroquine is not going to stop it. (laughs) It isn't going to stop it. There's no evidence of that at all. Um, And even with the studies on remdesivir, for truly sick people who are in the hospital on respirators, um, you know, uh, where where life is purely the issue, there is potentially a savings about three or four days of, um, of uh, treatment, being on a respirator, et cetera, versus those that don't have it. And so there is some evidence that that occurs based on the true severity of the population. But we need, yeah. to, we need to make sure that when we're talking, violence is, um, is different. Violence in war is one thing. Violence in uh, the community is something else. It's clearly when the people who are taking an oath to protect people and they cause violence, that becomes a huge problem. And uh, clearly that's a public health problem that needs to be addressed and stopped. On the other hand, there's also... uh, Uh Oh, did we lose you? Or did I get lost? What's going on here? I, it appears that uh, Dr. Stern had dropped off for a second here. Um, we're gonna try to get him back. Uh, part of the problem with having remote um, conversations is you are at the mercy of the internet. <laughs> so let's try to get Craig back on. Um, yeah, see, he just left. He's going to come back on. Um, we, we were nearing towards the end of our, of our conversation. We are talking about, He's talking about violence is not the answer, especially in a first-rate civilization or communities. Um, but it, it, it seems like he was getting to a point. I was trying to figure out where he was going with that. <laughs> um, and what do you think? Should, I, should we hold off or should I close it out? Oh, okay. He must have lost power in his uh, in his area. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and cut it short there. If there was any questions and or comments you would like to make, please feel free to leave a message. We have a, there's a way of contacting us on our website. It's ProPharmaConsultants.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Um, we're at ProPharma, ProPharma Pharmaceutical Consultants. Um, also on our website, we, you can find a free information page called RxInfoX, 
Once again, that's ProPharmaConsultants.com. You can reach us at RxInfoX. And um, that'll be it for this week. We hope you learned a lot, and uh, we will see you next week.